I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Hey again, all, and blessed Lent to all who observe it. Lent is one of my favorite times of the year. It brings me deep joy, though that might sound bizarre to those who know what Lent is. For those who don't, Lent consists of the 40 days, not counting Sundays, leading up to Easter. It's the time of year when many Christians contemplate Jesus' 40 days being tempted in the desert, as well as his arrest, torture, and crucifixion on a Roman cross. Why the heck would anyone find joy in such a time? Especially this year, when we have now dealt with something like a whole year of pandemic trauma and isolation and grief, with more to come. I like Lent because it is a time when those of us who live with depression and anxiety and trauma inside ourselves every day are actually allowed to share all of that mess outwardly. There's such a heavy taboo in many cultures today around talking about death and suffering, but that taboo is lifted, at least a little bit, in communities that observe Lent. It is a relief to be able to speak aloud all the crap that fills my brain throughout the year and hear people say, Amen, instead of, You're making me uncomfortable. Kate Bowler is another person who appreciates this aspect of Lent. In her memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, Bowler shares her experiences with a diagnosis of stage 4 colon cancer. She writes, I am facing death, and the church has demanded that, for the 40 days of Lent, everyone stare it down with me. We are solid flesh and we are ashes. For Bowler, acknowledging her own mortality is something that she is forced to do every day. It is a relief for her that for Lent at least, others join her in that grim but necessary reality. However, some Christians have observed that this pandemic has made the whole dang year feel like Lent with the relief and celebration of Easter delayed indefinitely. I feel that. Lent is hard to live out for just 40 days, let alone over a year. So for those who want nothing to do with Lent this year, I totally get that. But for those who do choose to observe Lent with me, I urge you not to lean into the self-denial aspects of it, but rather to lean into self-nourishment. The pandemic has already stripped so much away from our lives. Don't throw away the few things left in your life that bring you connection and comfort. Keep those things. Appreciate those things. Instead of piling more suffering and self-denial onto yourself just for suffering's sake, practice the love and care of self that leads to love and care of neighbor. 
face suffering head-on and commit to solidarity with your co-sufferers, perhaps by committing to several acts of kindness each week or educating yourself about how to support marginalized groups to which you don't belong, or by finally dredging up the courage to get that therapy or name those boundaries you need in order to live into the abundant life that fills us so that we can fill others. To me, Lent is its most powerful when we focus not on suffering for suffering's sake, but on God's ultimate solidarity with the most disenfranchised of humanity as exemplified by the person of God who is Jesus submitting to crucifixion at the hands of empire. In pondering Jesus' solidarity, we are moved to gratitude and to seeking deeper relationship with the divine, as well as to solidarity with those oppressed persons with whom Jesus so passionately identifies. This episode's guest brought up that same divine solidarity in the conversation that you are about to hear. Solaris Baldwin is a 21-year-old black gender-fluid Methodist whose childhood experiences with Christianity presented them with a God who watches your every move, waiting to judge you and throw you into eternal hellfire. Thankfully, as Solaris explored their sexuality and gender, as well as various religious traditions, they came to find the God of the oppressed, who suffers alongside us and loves us in all our diversity. My conversation with Solaris will begin in a moment, but first let me introduce you to another wonderful show that belongs to the Rock Candy Network. Hey, I'm Will, and they call me the doctor. And I'm Joe, the maestro. We host a podcast called Common Creatives, where we break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. You don't need to go anywhere else. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Solaris. I'm 21. I was born and raised in uh, the U.S., but kind of all over it. Um pronouns are they, them, theirs. Uh, I was baptized, baptized Baptist, but I'm Methodist now. I'm an actor. Ooh. Artist. Yeah, I know. Fancy, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously not doing a lot of that right now. Right, right. <laughs> I like reading. I like sharing my strong opinions about things that don't matter on the internet. <laughs> Same. Um, but yeah, I think that is probably the most important things about me. Awesome, awesome. If you, Would you like to get started by sort of like going back in time and working chronologically? Let's start in the beginning. Okay. Um, like I said, I was a uh, baptized Baptist, but <laughs> I was going to a Catholic school at the time, so I think my background is a little bit all over the place, kind <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger... Like, I was raised uh, a Christian, obviously, but it was sort of a, um expectation and not really a thing I chose to mm-hmm. do, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember distinctly that, uh, so before the Catholic school, I went to Pensacola Christian Academy, and if anybody who is listening knows about Pensacola Christian Academy, it is very, very conservative 
extremely sort of by the book. Mm -hmm. uh, get it by the book, <laughs> like the Bible. I'm very right. funny. Uh, no, anyway. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so at PCA there was this sort of um, ritual ceremony. I don't know. Like in the at the beginning of the day, we would have our prayers and all of that sort of thing, and then it would be sort of like does anybody want to step up and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Ugh. And I was very extremely afraid of going to hell. So every oh. morning I did. Oh, even wow. Even though I'd already done it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so interesting story about PCA is that because we were in the South, not only were they weirdly conservative about Christianity, they were also weirdly conservative about, like, race stuff. Oh, boy. Um, and one of the things that they did every year was like this sort of a coral pageant production thing uh -huh. and one of the songs uh, that the children were singing uh, was Dixie which obviously my mother was not entirely thrilled about <laughs> right yes oh boy so that's why we left and that's why we went to mm. Catholic school instead okay can, can I ask like uh, was it a white majority school like I think the only Black people I knew working at the school or people of color in general were like lunch ladies and jam. Okay. Yeah, it was very much that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So PCA was a lot, uh, very, like you couldn't wear, like girls had to wear skirts. Mm -hmm. So that I think really gave me a basis that was more of fear than anything else. Yeah. Religion. Um, mm -hmm. But then I, then we went to St. Michael's and it's weird because in some ways it was even more like that, but in other ways less. Um, before I got there, the convent burned down. The convent that was attached to St. Michael's burned down. Mm -hmm. And um, I vividly remember that no matter where you were in the school, um, it was kind of an open concept open layout so but no matter where you were in the school you could see this picture of jesus in the burnt husk of the convent that didn't burn oh wow and it yeah yeah and so it just felt very like being watched and judged oh. kind of thing yeah but also to, we went to mass every wednesday mm -hmm. um uh in a lot of ways i think that Going to St. Michael's kind of made me realize that you didn't have to be scared all the time mm. when it came to religion. Uh -huh. um, I have some ex-Catholic friends, and I think they had a very sort of different situation okay. uh -huh. or experience with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was some, there was something very comforting, I guess, about about that experience, even if I did have to memorize the Apostles' Creed and say a bunch of Hail Marys every time I <laughs> got in trouble. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that was that. And then uh, my parents separated um, when I was about six-ish, so like second grade. Okay. And uh, we moved to Myrtle Beach and... I'm sure you can imagine there are not a lot of churches in Myrtle Beach, at least the kind that people don't get shotgun married in. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. um, 
And uh, so we didn't really go to church after that okay. for a while. Um, and we didn't start going to church again until we moved to Alabama. And I think I was about 10 when we moved. 11 was my, my 11th birthday was my first day of school. It was awful. Oh, geez. Yeah, that is yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anybody. In fact, nobody knew it was my birthday except oh. for um, like, happy birthday to you. Here's a new school in a new place. Good luck. Not great. It was yeah. not great at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but so then we started going to this new church, the First United Methodist Church of Monroeville. So Monroeville, Alabama, was my first sort of experience with a place that wasn't majority white. Okay. Um, it was a pretty even mix of black and white in the schools from majority black, uh, which was interesting and weird and also not as sort of inclusive as I think one would think it would be Hmm. Um, because I talk white and scare quotes and act white and read a lot and the Florida education system is like so much more advanced than the Alabama one so I was already okay. ahead of everybody else anyway yeah so like they didn't recognize you as one of them or something yeah yeah basically um oh. and the white kids also didn't want to hang out with me so I hung out with myself mostly oh yeah <laughs> but we started going to First United Methodist and and it was a white majority church which also did not help the fitting in situation. Right. Uh, the people there were much more accepting and, like, well-meaning, I think, than I was expecting them to be. Um, mm-hmm. There was obviously a lot of... There was, there was obviously some mess-ups and, like, kind of weird stepping around the issue. Uh, I remember my sister... Uh, so my brother and I got baptized together, um, but my sister, when it came her time to get dumped, threw up on the pastor so she did not oh my gosh yeah oh my gosh (laughs) it was a whole thing that's Uh, so awkward (laughs) yeah very much so she got baptized at first united Uh Methodist, um which i feel is a little unfair because they just do a little sprinkle and i have to get dumped right yeah 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 (laughs) and i was like at the time i was like Five. I was very afraid of swimming and like being in water. Oh, awful! No. Awful. And they're like, you you have to do this to be saved. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you have oh, no choice. Don't you love Jesus? Get dunked. Oof. <laughs> Basically, yeah. But um, so when she got baptized, they have a pretty um regular song like they play when people get baptized at that church. Um. But that is not what they played. They played Amazing Grace. Uh, and I think they were trying to be like, oh, look, we know things about black culture. Oh, you you guys like this song, right? Yeah, like we were all looking at each other like, excuse me? Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So it was very much that experience just most of the time. Mm. But despite that, I think... Um, there was something about that church that was less sinners in the hands of an angry God type right. thing, mm-hmm. uh, because it was the first Methodist church I'd ever gone to. Uh, mm-hmm. my, 
my mom was much in the same situation as me where the rest of her family was Baptist. Um, and okay. then I think one, one day when she was like 11, uh, she was like, I don't want to go to this church anymore. And then started going to a Methodist church instead, just like by herself, which I think is very tenacious of her. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially at 11 years old. And uh, I thought about that a lot, but I've never like, had enough of a conviction or like like I was Christian because I didn't want to go to hell and suffer for eternity right. not because I had any sort of real connection or anything mm -hmm. um, but um, going to this Methodist church and not being shouted down and told that I was you know inevitably going to suffer and mess up and right etc etc actually gave me something I don't know how do I put this I think it gave me something to latch on to yeah um, mm -hmm. and um, especially since I think at that age was when the depression and anxiety and all of that started setting in um, I think without having started, I guess, my actual religious journey at that age, I don't think I would have, uh, to put it delicately, made it as long as I did. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was nice, but still I didn't really have a identity in Christ with, beyond my family and what we were doing and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 13, we moved to a different place, still in Alabama, but a lot more progressive. And um, I started um, doing that sort of exploring of identity thing that you do when you're in high school. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I remember I, I had just made a Tumblr and I spent a lot of time on the the blog, and if you'll pardon my my French here, it was called Fuck Yeah Feminism. <laughs> and I remember there that sort of being the year that, like, a lot of the ace discourse was coming mm. up. Right, yeah, around asexuality. But before it got, like, how it is now. And I remembered reading about that and being like, that is there might be something to that. But mm -hmm. my mother is an OBGYN, um, and so is pretty much my authority on sex stuff. Uh, she knows uh, what she's doing. Sure, yeah. Uh, but I remember one of her... When you live in a small town and your mom's the only OBGYN, all of your friends go to her. Okay. Uh, and all of the lunch ladies go to her, and all of the, everybody goes to her, and right. you know about it whether you like it or not. <laughs> But I remember a friend of mine um, saying that she thought she was ace, um, but that my mom had told her that that's not a thing, oh, and, oh. It, and and that something was wrong with her. Yeah, and human beings can't be like that. Oh, that's, uh, that sucks. So not even having heard that from my mom herself, just uh -huh. sort of hearing, having heard it secondhand, but knowing her stance. Yes. Yeah. On that sort of thing, I was still, I was sort of like, oh, I don't know. 
-hmm. and maybe this isn't a thing and also sort of grappling with the like surely I don't like girls and when I'm in the mall and turn away from the Victoria's Secret stores (laughs) it's just because I'm very modest yeah wait mood yes yes (laughs) that's my high school experience in a nutshell (laughs) and like recognizing that you're like asexual or on that spectrum and also realizing you like girls is such a weird mix like I was I I identified as pan for a while because I was like well I can't like girls and not like anybody right yeah yeah that's nothing oh man that was a that was a journey that I haven't thought about in a while (laughs) yeah throwback (laughs) I so I remember reading uh reading a lot on that blog and like seeing a lot of things that sort of conflicted with what i was taught like you know god hates the gays and etc and it's like an abomination etc right all of that stuff that's stupid and not true Mm -hmm. um but so i had sort of a lot of that in my head but also all of this other stuff in my head that didn't really mesh with that. Um, And I remember reading, I don't even remember what I read this on, but um, because I didn't break out the Bible very often (laughs) at this point. Uh Uh, But I remember reading that, uh, something that said that the things that God is Gucci with, that wasn't anything. I don't know what I'd say. Uh, I like it. <laughs> um, but the things that God blesses and is wants you to have in your life are things that bear good fruit. Yes, um, uh-huh. And there is no good fruit born in telling people that God hates you and mm-hmm. you're going to die and go to hell. And I think that that sort of really clicked with me and um, sort of, I guess, made it okay, quote unquote, to not be in my straight phase anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so then I was great. And then the gender thing came along. And that was a whole thing. Oh, no. Just when, you, yeah. Yeah. Just when you think you've got it all figured out. <laughs> that all for another three years. Um, yeah. But but during that time of, of self-discovery, uh, <laughs> I also dabbled in a bunch of other religions. Um, I read the Quran to see what that was about. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd go back and see some more about Catholicism. I'm still like on the fence about that one. I don't know. This is a little embarrassing. I was I was a juggalo for a bit. Whoa. Yeah. So I didn't wear the paint. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I didn't wear the paint because I was not allowed. Okay. Um, but I did I did dabble in juggaloism for a little bit. Of all the things you could have said, that is the last one I would have guessed. Do you, in case, in case any listeners don't know what that is, do you want to, like, in a sentence or two, explain what it means to be a juggalo? <laughs> in, in your perspective, at least? The, the thing that would be most recognizable would be the band, or rap group, or whatever you want to call them, the Insane Clown Posse, uh-huh. um, who make music that uh, maybe when you hear the rest of this sentence... 
does not quite match up. But um, <laughs> juggaloism is a lot about like family and um, mm -hmm. so and community and coming together under clowns, kind uh -huh. of. Uh -huh. uh, um, they have a website. You should go look it up if you haven't. Um, okay. But um, but I was, I think mostly I was looking for something that was very community based and not and and didn't just make people feel bad mm. just for the sake of making people feel bad. I guess, yeah. which is what Christianity felt to me at the time. Yeah, absolutely. That that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, if they're sort of based around community it, like and a connection with other people through an identity that you choose instead of one that you're sort of just born into or like don't feel like you have a choice over it kind of makes sense that that would sort of call to you at that point thing that i have always struggled with i think i still struggle with a little bit is that um is a sense of not really having a culture mm. um being like growing up mostly around white people and like not knowing a lot of black people or having a lot of black friends, but even sort of like with being black in the US, you don't have the sort of culture that like mm. like Asian people have or Hispanic people have. Like right. you don't have like a thing. It, there was never anything that was just for us, I guess. And, hmm even things that are just for us tend to get appropriated anyway. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that something that I have always really wanted is a culture to hold on to that isn't just the dominant culture because right. even if I am a Christian and even if I am American and like this, I live in the culture that I am in, mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like part of the majority does that make sense yeah no I think that makes a lot of sense and it, like it makes total sense that you were looking for something to fill that void looked for that for a while and then gave up on it and then interestingly enough it fell on my lap when I stopped looking for it uh -huh. because I got that in the queer community now uh-huh uh-huh that's one of those little blessings God just throws out mm. at you yes yeah so um, eventually, I uh, obviously went back to Christianity as like my main thing. I was 16 when I graduated because I skipped a grade. Um, so I skipped from eighth to ninth grade. Uh -huh. Kind of. I did both of the years at the same time. So I was 16 when I graduated. And so when my mom moved from Alabama to Tennessee, I went with her and I went to Belmont University, which is a Christian university. And something about just like being on campus was very different than any other place I'd ever been. Um, because the only place I'd ever been that was that kind of hollowed ground, I guess, but not as dramatic. <laughs> Uh -huh. With a church, which aren't very big, yeah. but like this is a whole campus. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it was a very nice place to be. Um, of course, the longer you spend at a place, the more you learn that actually you go to school on a plantation in the right Oof. place and the dormitories your friends live in used to be slave quarters. And like that's Holy not super crap. great. Uh, not great, but um, 
there is a organization on campus called Bridge Builders, which uh, is called that because it's sort of uh, bridging the gap between LGBT Christians and uh, people of faith or people in the queer community who are not also both of those things, but just right. sort of like making it less fraught, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, That's awesome. Bridge Builders is really cool. Uh, they do a lot of really good work in Nashville um, and just at school in general. Um, but I think being in that sort of phase, I think that my sort of ongoing struggle calmed a little bit. Uh, I at least did not and do not feel like I'm secretly doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. at least on that front. On every other front, I still feel like I'm secretly doing everything wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very much a kind of like um, look and see what other people are doing mm-hmm. sort of person to make mm-hmm. sure I'm doing it right. Unfortunately, mm. I wish I wasn't, but I am. Yeah. So having those groups of people who can tell you, like, look, you're not alone in this is absolutely life-changing. Yeah, it was it was a really nice community to be a part of. Um, I'm still in school, but I'm not there now. Obviously, right. Because there's a pandemic happening. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I miss being a part of that community, but um, mm-hmm. it was good while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's sort of, I guess, that's mostly where my journey has ended up. Um, one question I had that is sort of a tangent, I feel like, but if you have anything to say about sort of like who God is for you, especially because you said you've been for at least like a decade now, you've been exploring different sort of religious stuff, whether within Christianity or outside of Christianity, sort of how has your relationship with God um, developed over that time? Do you see anything sort of queer um, or otherwise like something in your relationship with God that reflects your own sort of journey? Decade. Don't remind me how old I am. (laughs) Decade. (laughs) Yeah, I think that my relationship with God has definitely evolved from like an entity that sort just kind of there to scare me like mm-hmm. um to uh, a force that I didn't really think about a lot um and felt guilty about not thinking about a lot but like also didn't mm-hmm. care that much uh-huh I think that now where I am I don't know that I could that I would be the person that I am without God and Jesus being as important mm. in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I don't know if I see a lot of myself in, I guess, the gospel. I see a lot of the gospel in myself. I'm mm. not sure if I said that right. Um, what I mean is, like, about Jesus, like, suffering the things that I suffer and God understanding that. Mm-hmm. I see just the sort of things that make me like uh, uh, being black and being queer and being trans and all of that. I think that I see 
when I read the Gospels, I see that sort of outsiderness, but also looking for a community and all of that. And I think that that my connection to the scripture stronger and makes my connection to God stronger. Yeah, yeah, I love all of that. Thank you. And what you said about earlier on in your relationship with God, God being that sort of figure that's just kind of out there to scare you and feeling guilty about that, but not enough to like do something about it. I think that is that is such a good commentary and on why a fear-based religion doesn't work is that you cause people to sort of drown in their guilt and shame and fear and, and like, you know, uh, people, sort of groups that do that would argue it's a way to motivate you to do good, like sort of force you to it. But in the end, it, it usually doesn't end up motivating you to do good. It more just motivates you into feeling horrified and guilty that you aren't doing good, but you're too frozen to do anything. Um, whereas it sounds like now you have managed to get to a point where instead of just having a faith where there are reasons not to leave, you actually have reasons to stay. That's exactly it. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad you've gotten to that point and it's it but it also like it makes me so sad that that fear basis is so common. Um and such a big reason that so many people end up disconnecting from the divine or the spiritual entirely. Yeah, it really is sad. And I um, I remember reading something on Tumblr recently that was like, um, I think it was a quote from somebody, but they were saying how God doesn't want us to like do good things because like that's just what they said to do, but rather like the love of God is so much that you just can't help but try to be like them. And I think that's that sort of thing, as opposed to just doing it because I was told to do it, Mm -hmm. is a much stronger conviction. Yes, yeah. I think that if I was taught that sort of notion as a child, I think my journey probably would not have been a decade long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, might have been a little smoother. (laughs) Just a little bit. Especially... um... In your email, you mentioned that the clobber passages, so those Bible verses that are often used against LGBT people, were sort of brought up to you when you were younger. If you are interested in sort of saying anything about those clobber passages, who brought them up to you, or how you kind of came to deal with them, or anything like that. So um, I didn't know about them under that name until I was already not sort of totally affected. Uh Uh-huh. But... I do remember that I came across them on my own, or at least the Leviticus passages on my own before anybody ever said anything about it. Mm, okay. And being like, mm-hmm. that's weird and doesn't add up. Uh, and then not thinking about that for a while. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. <laughs> and then um, later, knowing that the figures of authority in my life were not not down to clown as it were with gays. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm like I'm a very curious person. Uh I think the the number one thing I ask is why. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. 
and asking why uh, is not super a thing that people of authority want you to ask. Right. Yeah. But um, so asking like why is this such a big deal or mm-hmm. why don't you like gay people or right. why are gay people going to hell or whatever it's it was very much like oh because it's an abomination yeah. and then being like that's stupid yeah. and then, because the bible um, says so and that's all you need to know don't question god blah yeah <laughs> exactly and and also being like okay but where does the bible say so because that's stupid but then like <laughs> oh wait yeah. no you actually have proof um but still mm, mm-hmm. being like, but that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Because what about all of this other stuff? And I think that the more that I saw these passages being wielded like weapons, the more they started to lose their effect. Mm, mm-hmm. Strangely enough, because I don't like when things don't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then usually I'm going to write it off uh, as someone with an agenda or whatever. Mm -hmm. And obviously these people have an agenda. And and in my brain, it makes more sense that these passages would be being misinterpreted than for God to have all of this stuff about, like, love and Mm -hmm. sacrificing their only son for humanity and all of this stuff but Mm -hmm. also i hate the gays like that doesn't make any (laughs) sense by by the (laughs) way like jesus died for all of you oh except for those non-repentant gays yeah 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 like all of the murderers all of those other people fine that's fine the gays no Mm -mm. yeah oof yeah (sighs) And yeah, it's like, it's very much like you were saying, like when it's being wielded as a weapon, while people are also telling you that the Bible is supposed to bring God's good news of liberation, but they're only ever using it to harm people that that's very much like you're saying, it doesn't make sense. There's so much dissonance there. Well, you have to pick one. And I did pick one. Mm-hmm. And I like what I picked better. Um, <laughs> um, I, so I think that coming into this into the queer community and into the queer Christian community it's like something clicked there because I have the cognitive dis- dissonance of like well this is what it says mm-hmm. versus like but it doesn't make any sense and at this point I've written a lot of papers on things that don't make sense in the bible mm-hmm. common interpretations that don't make sense and I, after coming into the queer Christian community, it, it like clicked that, oh, it doesn't make sense because what I'm hearing is an interpretation that isn't correct. It's very much that fear base, right? That probably a lot of those people who are telling you, well, this is just what the Bible says. Part of why they can never question the interpretations they've been told is, I think a lot of it is that fear um, especially if it's someone they love in their life who is, like, gay or whatever, and they're so torn up about it in a genuine way. It's because, like, they're too scared, though, to dare question the Bible because they've been taught that a specific interpretation of the Bible is God's word. And so, yeah, that fear-mongering is just so awful. Exactly that. I, um, I remember once when I was sort of first tentatively feeling out that maybe I wasn't straight. My mom like called us all in 
because we were living our lives in a way that she had planned for and that was scary to her because she's a mother. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she had called us all in and she told us she had a dream that there was a wall and on one side of the wall was her and with my older brother because he's her favorite. <laughs> okay. And, like, some other people. And, like, on the other side of the wall was, like, me and my sister and some other people. And on her side of the wall were people who were getting raptured and saved. And the other side of the wall that I was on was the side of people who were not good enough. Is <sighs> the words that were used. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was, like, sort of supposed to... I don't think she was trying to be how she came across. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a genuine fear of hers that we would not be saved. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not how it came across at all. And that's not. Right. And when people say things like, oh, love the sinner and hate the sin and that kind of thing. That's not how it comes across. What it comes across as, I hate you, but I'm too much of a coward to say that. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, or like, I will claim, I will say the words, I love you, but I'm really going to act with hate towards you. Oh, that makes me so sad. Like for your relationship with your mom, your mom, and like just, um, that's a lot. How yeah, there's people in my wife's family and in mine to an extent who have that same, when they talk about being afraid for her, for being queer, it's it's a very genuine fear that they believe is love-based, where they're so scared she'll go to hell. But, like, it is. It's like you're saying, like, first of all, this idea of the the wall of, like, where you're on the side of people not getting raptured because you're not good enough just has me immediately thinking, like, since when was Jesus ever about good enough about who who deserves like love or who is good enough is just it's such a fascinating way that people are taught to be christian versus what jesus was out there doing which was loving everyone who was supposedly not lovable enough it's like very not scripture based at all and yeah the more i think about it the more i think that that sort of teaching is like the thing the sort of thing that you hear a lot in churches, but not actually something that you read in the Bible. Right. I have a lot of strong opinions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> strong, controversial opinions about things. No, I'm, I am with you. <laughs> um, I think my ethics and religion professor uh, has probably gotten the brunt of my strong, controversial opinions about scripture. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But anybody who talks to me long enough about it will get a taste. Yeah. Same, though. <laughs> um, if you So we've been talking about, like, the clobber verses and all that. Are there any, like, passages that you really love from a queer lens, autistic, black lens, any of that? Yeah, I've, I've got a couple, actually. Um, so I, from a queer lens, uh, let me see if I remember. Galatians 3.28, I want to say. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. No man or woman or Gentile or Jew or slave or free, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. I think I like I like that one a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, like, who cares? Like we're all <laughs> one. And I have 
have a lot of strong controversial opinions on things Paul has to say, mm-hmm. but that one gets passed. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Uh, I think the Beatitudes in general, I've always just really liked and really identified with. Uh, I don't know if I can even say why, but it's always something that just gave me great comfort. I mean, they're very queer in the idea of Jesus is saying that the people, like, he's saying that you're blessed for the very things that the world tells you you're cursed for, basically, you know? Like, if you're poor or meek or any of that, depressed, like, in mourning, like, then you're actually blessed. Um, uh, The world can just get over themselves, you know? Like, so yeah, I'm with you about the Beatitudes. Yeah. It's it's very much I for me the like uh, epitome of like the good news. Yes, yes. And well, uh, most black people I think have a, a strong connection to Exodus, just like mm, that whole book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like historically speaking, I think that's a thing that the community we've really identified with, like coming out of slavery and having this great miracle happen and um and it's not not, i think a book that i think about a lot uh but when i do think about it i'm like yeah it's so cool and so powerful um also i just love moses (laughs) like i say it autistic icon yeah no literally i was about to say i definitely read him as like disabled and autistic and Yes, autistic icon, for sure. I wrote, this this professor of mine, this poor guy, he assigned us, like, a 10-page ta- paper, and I was like, what if mine was 25 pages? And he's like, oh, fine, Avery, yes, I will read your 25-page paper on Moses being disabled. That's very good. I wrote, uh, I've also written a paper uh, for my ethics and religion class about witchcraft and Christianity. That mm. was twice the... Um, twice the page count it was supposed to be yes yes oh that sounds like fun if you want okay seriously if you want to send that paper to me i would happily read it (laughs) goodness okay i'm gonna check over it because it's been a grip right yeah uh and see see if see what's See if it's a little, it could be made better. Right, yeah. Or, be. If it still holds up, yeah. Oh my gosh, I hate when I read papers that I thought were amazing, like, that I wrote five years ago, and I read them now, and I'm like, what was I even talking about? Strong regrets. Like, what was, oh. the, what was the thread here? Like, <laughs> you don't make sense. Or like, oh, this thing I said was so, like, this is just so wrong. What was my theology? Just all the time. <laughs> Like, I swear, every time I look back at things I believed about God, even just a few years ago, I'm now at, like, every time I look back, I see things that have changed drastically, which is in some ways kind of, like, scary, but also kind of exciting that, you know, like, God keeps on coming into our lives in different ways and offering new glimpses and and transforming us, so I'll take it. (laughs) I think a big part of being Christian is transformation, just sort of mm. what, if you are not, I think, changing, you are just stagnating. Amen. So I'm looking at my notes of things I wanted to ask you, and I think we've gotten to most of them, which is great. Yeah. Well, I do have one question. Do you um, do you um, practice witchcraft at all yourself, or is it just something you were looking into for fun? 
I did practice witchcraft myself, and part of the reason that I started writing that paper was because I have a friend who um, is Christian and a witch, and I was like, sounds fake, bro. But then I was <laughs> like, wait, but actually... Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome that you you had that reaction and then we're like, let me research this and write a big paper on it. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I um, I find myself a lot of the time having like these jerk reactions, like strong reactions against things. And mm. then I'm like, wait, I'm being the exact sort of person I don't want to be. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel that. And I think like, for me, like we were saying about like, knowing what it's like to be other or be different in some way like it helps you know like recognize your own knee-jerk reactions and go okay this is what people do to me when I tell them I'm both trans and Christian I don't want to be that guy so what about witchcraft calls to you I think one of the uh things that I talked about in my paper was that um if you really, if you sit back and look at it, a lot of the things that um, a lot of witches do as a part of their craft, and a part, a lot of the things that Christians do uh, as a part of their worship, are actually pretty similar. Mm. I mean, like you could draw a comparison between the Bible and someone's Book of Shadows or Grimoire or something. Um, Mm. And there's a lot of calling of energy. Yeah. Spirit, like the Holy Spirit as a sort of energetic force. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm just, I immediately um, think of the Eucharist, especially for Christians who believe that it literally transforms from like wine into blood. That's pretty witchy. It's a little witchy if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Just a tiny bit. And um, drawing comparisons between... Um, Spells, which often have a uh, musical or poetic quality about them, to hymns and um, the sort of prayers Ooh, that we yes. practice a lot, like the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer, um, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and uh, one of the things that I um, talk to my like secular witch friends about a lot is um, is where our power comes from and. Uh, my power doesn't come from me like it comes from God, but mm-hmm. it is the sort of harnessing of it or like being a conduit for that sort of thing that I think gives me a sort of sense of control over things that should society have its way that I would not normally have control over. Mm, yeah. Also, not to be shallow, but like the aesthetic. Yes. <laughs> I no. have to draw a comparison between the witch aesthetic and the aesthetic of specifically a lot of things in Catholicism. It's yes. just really similar. I'm literally, I'm sitting next to my personal altar with, like I said, I I grew up Catholic and I still kind of, I keep those roots. And so I've got candles and crystals and statues of angels and icons of saints like it's it's a fairly witchy setup while also being very much like a catholic setup but yeah i think that's part of why um like there are some protestants especially here in the south i've found like like evangelicals who think that like catholics are like demon worshipers or whatever like i think they definitely in a negative way, see a connection between Catholicism and witchcraft. Um, 
that is a comparison that my my mother likes to draw a lot. I I don't want to be that person who talks about my mother a lot. It's kind of a fraught relationship. Um, yeah. We disagree on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the my mother is very not very not about the Catholics. Uh, she put us mm-hmm. in a Catholic school specifically because it was a good school mm-hmm. and not because it was a Catholic school. Right. But uh, I think that's one of the things that she says a lot is that it's not very Christian in the way that she thinks it should be. Right. Um, and that saints are idolatry or like acknowledging saints is idolatry. And, right. and that the literal Eucharist is a little a little weird um yeah. and that sort of thing uh and does, she does draw that comparison uh as well but um like you said not super in a positive way mm-hmm. i feel like that just goes to show though like people who act like there's only one right way to connect to the divine like it's so wild when there are like literally like thousands or even millions of different ways people interact with the divine in the world even within the umbrella of Christianity. So many different things. It's like a really personal sort of thing. I don't know how you could even point to one thing and say that's the right way to be Christian. Right, yeah. It seems so, I don't know if I want to use the word arrogant, but it seems wild to me to think that, like, I, I'm such a, like, I'm such a mess of a human being. There is no way I have everything right about God. Like, no way at all. Oh, for sure not. I, <laughs> there's, I, I think I would be extremely hesitant, uh, even with my strong and controversial opinions, to be like, I know the right way. Right. Like, ugh. So yeah, my last question is always, if there are any last words of wisdom or encouragement you would like to share with other trans people of faith, um, what would it be? I would say that God makes a lot of things in nature, just in general, that transform. Butterflies come to mind. Most of the things that we eat, um, that sort of thing, just like human people transform from babies to adults. even if you're not trans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so, like, whatever transformation you're going through, it is blessed. Be chill about it. So Laris's journey from hellfire and judgment into love and solidarity and from isolation into vibrant community brings me so much hope for others in similar situations. I'm grateful to them for sharing some of their story. If you didn't get the chance to listen to the other episode that came out this month on transgender mental health, I highly recommend you go do so. There's an extra bit of my conversation with Solaris on there, where they and I discuss God and human support in the midst of suicide ideation. That just about wraps up this episode, except to invite any trans and or non-binary persons of any faith background who would like to be interested in coming on this podcast to reach out to me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. Finally, to bring up Lent one more time, If you are interested in observing Lent with me, you might like to check out the daily posts I'm sharing on my Instagram at blessedarethebinarybreakers, 
on Twitter at Binary Breakers, or on Tumblr at A Queer Seminarian. I'm pulling quotations from various texts on life and death, suffering and solidarity, and faith at the intersections and on the margins. And I'll be sharing questions for reflection with each of those passages. Even if you are not Christian or don't normally observe Lent, you might find some of these passages enriching to your own spiritual life, and I definitely invite you to join in on the discussions. Alrighty, I will see you all next month. Please keep yourselves and others safe in this time of pandemic and natural disaster and government failures to respond well. Ugh. And as always, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life. Thank you.